Hi everyone, my name is Callie. And I'm Grant. Welcome back to our podcast, Big World. Small Bites. This week we're talking about how daunting climate change can seem. We understand the research regarding climate change can be scary and rather sad. It can make you want to sit in the shower and cry. That's dark. The thing is, it's not over yet. The earth is only half-baked. There's still time to take the cookies out of the oven and cool things down. Wait, what kind of cookies are they? It's a metaphor. We're going to walk you through the research, but also give you reasons for hope. Oh, so it's kind of like a fortune cookie. Sort of. Either way, we hope you're hungry, because we're going to be breaking down this big world into some small bites. All right, Callie, let's get into this this kind of sad topic of climate change, the kind of daunting, scary, cry-in-the-shower-as-we-mentioned scenario. Why does it feel like these hurricanes are only getting worse? Experts point to climate change. In California's San Joaquin Valley, these are days of hard choices for farmers. The climate crisis means that we are making flooding less natural and more disastrous. Before we begin, I kind of want to give just a couple definitions of climate change yeah. so everybody listening at home can kind of think about the issue and really, and really understand what we're talking about today. So starting off with the big guys, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, this sort of massive report talking about climate change, uh, they define, along with the United Nations, and I'm just going to read the definition and then we can break it down, uh, they say that climate change refers to the long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. These shifts may be natural, such as through variations in the solar cycle, but since the 1800s, human activities have been the main driver of climate change, primarily due to the burning of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and gas. And I'm sure some people at home have probably heard the term the Anthropocene or anthropogenic emissions, yeah. humans really influencing the climate. I, th I think the main takeaway from that definition, I know it can sound rather confusing, is just that people are really driving climate change. People with their emissions, CO2 emissions, everything we do has an impact on the planet from driving a car to going to work to turning on a stove has some type of emission. Um, and again, to get to that kind of that kind of that sad point again, I think there's a really good quote from this book, The Uninhabitable Earth, which I know you and I have both checked out yeah. uh, for a class before. But kind of describing the impact that people have on the planet, David Wallace Wells says about climate change that we think of it as slow, but it is unnervingly fast. We think of the technological changes necessary to avert it as fast arriving, but it is deceptively slow judged by how soon we need it. So just kind of jumping in, what do you what do you think of that quote? I mean, I think that reflects the research in that book really well. If any of you have read that book, you know it's kind of depressing, but it's also really fascinating. I mean, he outlines all of the possible things that could happen, and they're all really bad. Um, and so <laughs> I, think, I think that quote really shows how the pace of change is really slow, but we need things to be changing really fast, yeah. which is daunting and scary and might make you cry in the shower sometimes. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all just cry <laughs> in the shower? But uh, to getting to some of those kind of daunting things that are happening, again, to get, to get to the big guys over here, the United Nations and the IPCC report, some of the issues of climate change, which, again, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners at home have heard about, are drought. So with lack of water, you have you know damages to food production and human health. Uh, you have flooding, which can actually spread disease as well as damage ecosystems and infrastructure. Homes are flooding, cars in the water. We've all seen the, the pictures. Uh, another really interesting problem that climate change has really done, especially in the western United States, deals with water. 
and this idea of snowpacks. And for those who have never heard of the term, snowpack just involves water that kind of melts. And as water melts, the water kind of drains and flows down into reservoirs, into the ground, and for people to use. Um, and because of climate change, there's less and less snow. So there's less water to melt and less water in general. And then finally, another example I'm sure a lot of people have heard about is ocean acidification with the coral reefs, the coral bleaching, uh, all the little fish swimming through this kind of dead coral. It's very sad. It's really sad. sad. It makes me cry. They're so. constantly crying in the shower, in the ocean. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then, I mean, looking to today, there's a bunch of examples of climate change. I know there's Hurricane Fiona in, in Puerto Rico. Uh, which a quote just from that that disaster, which happened pretty recently, 90% uh, of the region's major crops, plantains, has been lost due to the wind and torrential rains. And the uh, kind of administrator of this study, he estimates that there are around 700 acres of plantains in the area farmed by about a dozen growers. And because there's all these separate little plantains, um, many of the small farmers there are actually, their farms aren't big enough, so they don't get any uh, crop insurance from the government. So kind of an issue we don't think about with climate change. Uh, farmers are being impacted simply because they can't get insurance even as storms are hitting them. And I'm sure many people have also seen in the news very recently, we have Hurricane Ian, which is devastating Florida and and, and other places as well as, as it's continuing. Uh, but now that I've made us all sad, depressed, and, and just upset about climate change, Kelly, offer us <laughs> offer us some hope here. Right, like how can I do that? It's, yeah, exactly. It's a rough, it's rough. Um, and it's hard when we're seeing it out there. Like, I just want to talk about for a second those impacts that you talked about because we tend to think of these things as happening somewhere else because they are or is not happening to us yet. But, you know, drought in the west of the United States, the flooding in the south, like you said, from Hurricane Ian. And, of course, it's very ethnocentric to think about mm. ourselves first. But for many people, it doesn't matter if it's happening somewhere else until it's happening to them. And we're finally starting to see that. So maybe that will help people change their minds. I don't know if that's a reason for hope or not. But amid all this, this stuff that's going to continue to get worse, it can seem really bleak. So it might seem like hope is really, really useless to have. Mm -hmm. But actually, it doesn't lead to complacency like we might think. Like We might think, okay, well, everything's going to be fine, so I don't have to do anything. But science actually shows us that fear and shame cause us to give up and shut down. It's not... A, a driver for action so hope is actually this thing that that we need to try to cultivate d despite everything really awful that's happening um so elin kelsey has this term called hope punk that i really like, Ooh, I like so the it's name. yeah hope right punk. it's very yeah. interesting so just like how punk tries to go against the kind of current norms and just do the thing you believe in hope punk wants us to live in the way we know that we should regardless of whether or not it's hopeless or not. So you do the right thing, even if you think it doesn't matter. So a lot of recycling doesn't end up being recycled, but you keep recycling because whatever, who cares if it happens or not, I'm going to do the right thing. Going against the grain, going yeah. against the system. Even though we're kind of trying to fix things in that, right? Like it's it's like good yeah. trouble. A sort of climate change emo phase in a way. Yes, exactly. So I think that thinking about it in that way, you know, even if it is hopeless, who cares? You know, why don't we just try to keep going? And Kelsey also talks about the fact that climate doom is just as effective at creating an action as climate denialism. So we think about how much denialism is run rampant. But, you know, 
thinking about the future as hopeless is just as effective as making people not want to act. I think it's kind of become cooler now to be like a doomsdayer than to deny climate change since it's so obvious that it's happening. Um, But it's not cool. It's just as bad. Um, And I think that one way we can try to cultivate this hope is through just creating a relationship with the natural world. I think we've talked a lot about that in some of our classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you have any ideas about that specifically. Yeah, just you know, don't don't sit in the shower with your friends and all and all be sad, but grab each other, go for a walk outside, look at nature, realize that there's stuff worth saving, and not just being sad, thinking that the world's gonna end and that it's all over, that we can make an impact. Yeah, exactly. There are things worth saving, and I love this idea from Emily and Johnston about loving a vanishing world. And she says that we have to love not just this vanishing world, but the many worlds we can still prevent from vanishing. So the idea of there's still things worth saving, she says even if we could only save half the animals on the planet, those animals are worth saving. And we have to show up for them and love them just as we would anything else. So I think that bringing that love and that emotion into it isn't a negative. It's not not something that's going to take away from the movement. It's something that's, I think, really going to strengthen the movement yeah it's like we all have a part to play you know might as well play your part yeah exactly and i think we try to separate emotion from it because science is separated from emotion that's Mm -hmm. that's its strength but when people hear things without emotion i think they have nothing to connect to yeah no definitely and this is an issue we all can connect to in different ways that you know we might not even know yet and there's good ways that we're connected in bad ways you know like everyone's going to be touched by climate disaster but also everyone lives on this planet together got real sappy (laughs) (laughs) but it is it's a beautiful thing to think about and I think collective action is really important too since we are all in this together um and there's this idea of emergent strategy that Adrian Marie Brown talks about which is the idea that we're we can only learn to survive if we're in a community so species Mm. survive in community and emergent strategy shows us that you know all of this evolution and adaptation that we do depends on authentic connections. And then when we have that connection, we can use that in times where we really need to be resilient. Um, and she even says, you know, that we could love nature, we could connect, and we long for that connection. Um, and I, I think that that's a, a, an avenue for hope is connection to people and to the environment. To kind of build each other up. And, and help each other out as opposed to, to kind of just wallowing in the sadness that's so easy to fall into. Yeah, because there are ways for us to connect and things for us to connect to. And there are still things to love, mm-hmm. even in all of the difficult things that are happening. And oh, go so, ahead. So to bring it into kind of like a cookie metaphor, it's almost if you, you see the cookies in the oven and you feel like they might be burnt. But the sooner you get to them, the better they'll be. Or you could just be like, they're going to be burnt anyway. Leave them in the oven and just let the oven catch on fire. You know, I really hate to admit it, that was a really great metaphor. Thank you. Yeah, because slightly burnt cookies are better than no cookies. Exactly. That's really true. That's really true. I think that kind of gets into the idea of storytelling. Mm -hmm. The idea that, you know, we see the world through stories, and those stories impact how we take action. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about culture, um, culture is a, a way for us to have power. We're connected to the land. If we start making stories about our connection to the land, those old ideas will only go away when we replace them with new ideas. So we all have something we can do. We have a reason to smile and have a reason to take climate action. Yes, exactly. I like it. I like it. Speaking of that then, 
Uh, I have some solutions for us, Callie. Oh, you do? Yeah, some things we can take, some positive news now that I've given us all these sad definitions of climate change and the disasters that follow. Uh, one really cool solution is from UC Berkeley, uh, and it's, the report's called the 2035 Report. And essentially, the report looks to see what the United States specifically could do. And I like that it's the United States, because I think oftentimes the U.S. is kind of, uh, they like to push the blame on other countries for climate change. Yeah, we love to distance ourselves from yeah. it and pretend like it's never going to happen to mm-hmm. us. Even yeah. though we're such a large emitter historically, the largest emitter historically. Yeah, and and the ones that are, are causing problems currently for many other nations and people. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I really like that this study looks at the United States and kind of says, what can the U.S. do? Almost as, as if it's its responsibility. Yeah. And essentially what it finds, and this is really cool, and, and I just want to read out a, a small little quote from the study. They write that by retaining existing hydropower and nuclear capacity after accounting for planned retirement, so after putting some you know, plans to rest, not building anymore, just keeping the existing hydropower and nuclear that we have today and much of the existing natural gas capacity then combining that with new battery storage, the United States would be sufficient or would be able to demand dependently, i.e. every hour of the year, with a 90% clean grid by 2035. Now granted, this is a rather rapid plan, but essentially it just states that just by keeping the infrastructure we have today and placing emphasis on renewables with some new battery storage, we really could make a drastic difference. Maybe we wouldn't be at 100%. But by 2035, to be at 90% renewable energy or a clean grid would be insane. That would be incredible. And I think we just love to talk about the fact that it's not possible. Mm-hmm. That would be, oh, well, you know, we could never get enough renewable energy or what happens when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. Um, but the technology's out there and it's being made by people that really care about these issues. And if we just put our minds to it, it would be possible. But that money, political power, it no, would exactly. happen. And we both know that, well, it's great to see big action from the federal government as in like subsidies and, and all ways to put in solar and, and renewable energy. These changes can also occur at the local level. The study lists a bunch of different ways that, that we can reach this goal. And one major way is just by local municipalities making changes. Yeah. Talk to your, your local borough, your local council, getting them to adopt renewable energy or working with farmers to build solar. Things like that can make a drastic difference. Yeah, that connects to community, too. There's so many great environmental organizations that work within small communities, and that's building connections with people. Um, You kind of just become part of a really large network of people that care and people that have resources to help. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we've all heard this idea, or at least some of us have heard this idea when it comes to climate change, around this idea of, of the tragedy of the commons, this idea that when there is a common pool resource, let's say like water or like land, or really with, with CO2 emissions, people often choose the easy way out or it's easier to just do nothing. Uh, but I think the issue works both ways. Everybody kind of thinks, why should I do anything? Because it doesn't make a difference. But if everybody took those little steps and made those differences, large action would occur. No, I definitely agree. It's easy to, it's just easy to, to sit there and think that it's not worth taking action. But I hope we've outlined some ways that it is worth taking action, Absolutely. despite all those reasons to cry in the shower. Absolutely. There's some reasons to maybe smile a little bit as you're, as you're in the shower every morning. Yeah. But right. <laughs> I think that's enough shower metaphors for today. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think we can start, start to wrap it up. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to this first episode. There'll be more episodes to come, diving into specific issues about climate change, what it all means, and the things that we can do. But... 
right now, we hope you join us for next time as we keep on cooking. So stay tuned, and we'll be serving up a new episode soon. Get ready for some more small bites of this big world. <laughs>